0: Thank you. I had more hair and less weight. (laughs) Would have been half the size back then, I think, 20 years ago. My wife always tells me that I'm twice the man she married. (laughs) Uh, I love coming along to Good Shepherd. There's such a consistency about this church. Uh, You mentioned 1998 uh, and obviously I was friends with um, Pastor Shemish for uh, years there when he was pastoring here and uh, there's always just been a continued consistency. I think when they when they talk about churches around Australia, I'm not sure whether you realise people talk about you. Ever knows that? <laughs> I think you probably figured that out that people talk about people, and and uh, when you ever hear people talk about Good Shepherd, it's always in a positive light, and, and I say that with sincerity. It's it's always in a light that is a uh, a church of absolute consistency, and I, I love coming along here. That's what it is, Pastor. You've uh, carried on the legacies from previous pastors, from Pastor Hunter and all the others who have come through and Pastor Shemish and then continued on. You have a great man of God here and uh, I thank God for his friendship and I appreciate him and his family and uh, what they mean to us in Rockhampton as well and uh, always good to turn up here. I, I think this is definitely the singing church. Uh, you guys, uh, I, what I love about coming here, this is a Sunday night service but it's just like you're at conference. Uh, You guys are just the same, that's what I mean, you're just the same every week, every time you gather and I think that's a wonderful testimony to the faithfulness of God and and you and uh, Pastor Alex and um, Elizabeth, you'll think about you guys are in Argentina and other places and it's good to know you have a strong home church that's uh, just faithful and consistent. So thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Thank you for being the church that you are. Uh, You're an encouragement to many, many people. I know uh, James Filippi was just here recently and uh, he heads back tonight, he flies back to uh, Spain and uh, he's got uh, his challenges with his health and some things happening there and I know you're praying for, for him. So uh, this, this evening I wanted to uh, bring a thought to you out of Luke chapter 24, if you want to grab your Bibles there in Luke chapter 24, it's a... Um, a topic that I want to talk to you about which I simply titled they rose up and uh, I'm going to uh, read through this and bring scriptures up on the screen uh, and and sections of it and you may want to mark them in your bible as you go through this it's a familiar passage of scripture and I think about we've just had no doubt we've just had the uh, uh, you had Easter celebrations down here and uh, I heard some great reports of what God did here at Easter and And it's wonderful to hear that around from church to church. But I've often wondered what it was like for Jesus. If you think about uh, the day that he came out of that tomb... ...and we know he meets up with Mary. We know that encounter takes place. And uh, you would think he's in the garden area. He might uh, wander around and smell the flowers. He's been dead for three days. So you might want to wander around a little bit there. And you think, what would you do next? And according to Luke 24... Jesus decides to go for a walk, and he leaves Jerusalem, and in Luke 24, he heads off, and two of Jesus' followers had heard uh, early reports about the resurrection, but for some reason they didn't take them seriously enough to hang around Jerusalem. And they decide it's time to go home, and uh, head off back to a nearby town, which is uh, people really haven't been able to locate the place. but It's close by. Obviously, Emmaus was the town. We know one of these blokes' names was uh, uh, Cleopas. Uh, I don't know how who the other person was. Uh, some, some have alluded it may have even be his wife because a different spelling of that name is there in the Gospel of John and her name was Mary, the wife of Cleopas, who uh, was there at the cross. We don't know whether it was a husband and wife who were journeying back together after being in Jerusalem around Passover time and decided they're just walking back. Possibly it was a couple. Uh, Many have just simply said it was two two men who were travelling back after the festivities. We don't know who it was, but whoever they were, Uh, Cleo and his mate, uh, whoever that was, were at one time in massive high hopes with Jesus. And at this moment, they're now in massive doubt and if you've ever gone through moments where you've gone from highs to lows, it uh, can be very discouraging, uh, times where hopelessness can come in and this is what's happening because the death of Jesus to them seemed to have put an end uh, to their hopes, to their dreams that the long-promised Messiah was who he said he was and that he would come out from there and from all reports uh, that Jesus may have risen from the dead. To them, it was a little bit bizarre. For that to happen, he would have had to be divine. But to them, they hadn't sort of figured that. And so we pick it up here in verse 13. I want to uh, read along here in this passage and uh, see if I can get that thing to work there. I'm not sure if it's going to click across there. Got it on, maybe. Here we go. See if we can get that working. There we go, we're on the thing. And here is what the Bible speaks. It says, and behold... Two of them that went the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs from that distance. They were talking roughly around about... Uh, 12K from the city of Jerusalem, something like that in that terminology. Uh, some have tried to say this might be the road to Emmaus and tried to work these things out. It could be a tourist plot too and sort of get people to walk on that road, buy a bit of a souvenir, pick up a rock from the road to Emmaus, all those sorts of things. But as they walk, the Bible says this is what took place. And they talked together. And they talked together of these things which had happened. And at this moment... Jesus starts to come along beside them. And it's like he turned up and just sort of asked if he could tag along with them. And the Bible says that it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And it seems the issues they were talking about must have been pretty intense. When you you start to look at some of the words in this passage, they talked, they communed, they reasoned. Uh, They were getting involved in their conversation uh, with each other. It's like they were throwing back things to each other, like they were throwing a ball back to each other and and saying, what about this? And maybe this would have happened. And they're going over and over and over. And perhaps they were talking about how how unfair it seemed, how disappointed they were. So often things just uh, went wrong. and, And then they were quick to vent. They were quick to do that, and and we do the same at times too. When things don't go the way we had expected, we can be very quick to charge God foolishly and vent some things out. And when tragedy strikes, we are easily easily uh, susceptible to start to ask the question, well, why God? why god we we go to the doctor we get the bad report the the blood pressure is rising the the infection has spread whatever it is and we say well god i read my bible i've been faithful to church i don't understand why god why is this happening when when family life is falling apart and you you turn to god and and you say god don't you don't you see what's taking place and And maybe you might look at things and say, God, can't you see what my wife is doing to our marriage or my husband is doing to our marriage? God, fix this thing and and we're desperate and nothing seems to happen. And these two men were in there experiencing some extraordinary frustration and Jesus took this incredibly serious. Uh, We don't even know this second person's name. We don't know much about even Cleopas. But Jesus took this so serious that he took a huge chunk out of his first stay from the tomb and said, I'm going to go spend this with these two insignificant people that are not hardly even mentioned in the scripture. Jesus did not go straight to all his disciples who he'd been with for three years. He travelled a distance away from where his disciples and loved ones were and travelled after these two people who were in great frustration and doubt and disappointment. And they were there. And the strange thing is that Cleopas and his companion had no idea it was Jesus who was traveling with them. In fact, the Bible goes on and says, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And I'm not sure whether you've ever heard of uh, different stories uh, that you may have come across someone who was famous and then you later realized who it was. And I was on a plane flying back from Sydney to Brisbane one day and um, I'd got upgraded into the business class and, and uh, there was four of us, there was six, there was uh, 12 seats and there were four of us in business class all put in the last four seats and the first eight seats were all there. I thought they must have run out of, didn't have anyone in there so they bumped a few people up to give someone a job in that first class section or the business class section and I, I was one of the people who got bumped up and thinking, oh, well, this is a good ride and so I'm sitting there, and then they closed the curtain so that you know, the people in economy couldn't see what was happening up in the business class. And I thought, well, well something's going on here, and the four of us are going to get a, a special treatment, and then some people walked onto the plane. And I looked at that person, and I thought, I wonder, who, who is that? Who is that person? And then there was a, a big burly guy come on, and uh, he was carrying things, and then some other children came on, and and a few other people. And then I looked at one person, I realised, I wonder who is that person? And then somebody next to me uh, said, I-, I think that's Angelina Jolie. And so I had a double take and I thought, it is Angelina Jolie. And in those moments, you wonder what, do you go up and ask for a selfie? What do you do? I'm not sure what happens here or <laughs> sign your boarding pass or what happens? And, and, and so uh, later on, I the plane was uh, landing and I thought, I've I got to be able to tell the kids this is what happened. So I stealthily got my phone out and sort of took a snap from the top of the top of the scene. But sometimes you wonder, who, who is this person? And have I missed an opportunity with someone who I, I didn't even realise was there? There was a lady who won some money at a casino. And she was taking her winnings back to her room in the hotel. And she hopped into the elevator to take her up to her floor and right then the doors opened up again, someone else had pressed the button and the doors opened up and two black men walked in, one was tall, one was short and stood either side of her and here was this uh, lady and she started to panic a little bit thinking what's going on, am I going to be mugged here, what's happening And, and in her panic she dropped her money. And these two black men went down and were helping her gather the money together and she's in more of a panicked state and finally the doors opened at her floor and she gathered what she could and, and they had some and they gathered it and they, and they walked out with her and were walking with her to the door saying, Lady, here you go. And, and she was panicked and she got to her door and ran in. The next morning there was a, a knock on the door and concierge and the, they brought some things up and had brought her a beautiful bouquet of 12 roses. And on that had a card and said, we're very sorry we startled you in the elevator last night. Signed, Michael Jordan and Eddie Murphy. And uh, just didn't realise who, who, was, who was that person there. And I wonder, at times, do we ever get like these disciples on the road to Emmaus? We're so consumed with what's happening around us that just like these two men, they were walking with God and didn't know it. Here was Jesus walking with them. And, then, and could we be the same? Could we have moments where we miss him? Because of our pain, because of our circumstances, and it's a disturbing thought to think that Jesus was with them, God was at work, and they didn't even know what was happening. And we allow tough circumstances at times to blind us from the Lord. And we miss him and we get blindsided by the pain because to these disciples, Jesus was a corpse. They had not even thought through this. We understand their eyes were holding. I don't know all about that, maybe... Somehow Jesus supernaturally uh, interfered with their facial recognition software. I don't know what he did, but something was held there. But I really think is this, that they didn't accept the true identity of Jesus. They were not accepting him as the true son of God, even though they had heard things he had said. They had no doubt seen things he did. But there was a spiritual blindness, and they were standing next to hope, and yet had no hope, standing in the midst. And so Jesus takes over the conversation. And I love how Jesus does this in verse 17. The scripture says, And what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk? And notice what he says, and are sad. Uh, what's happening? And I want to put ourselves into the shoes of those who were walking on Emmaus and, and talk about a few things that they were experiencing that sometimes we experience. And I think Jesus was teaching a far greater lesson and attempting to teach a greater lesson to these disciples who had lived so much in the physical presence of Jesus to learn that there was an area of faith, that we don't walk by sight, that we walk by faith, where we have to learn to walk without the physical presence of Jesus, without the physical experiences and to understand a spiritual moment. So they begin and he communicates and he said, what is it that's happened to you that sadness has come across you. what what's taken place? They were filled with disappointment. They were filled with despair, filled with discouragement, disillusionment, doubt, all those D words thrown out there that they had within them. They'd had an incredible week with Jesus. They'd followed him. It had been a, a glorious week until he was arrested, until he was crucified and he died. But they didn't just lose, as I said, a great man in their life. They had lost their hopes. They had lost their dreams. Everything that they had pinned their future to has now been shattered and is gone. And I I just didn't expect this. Only a week before, no doubt their hopes had had risen to to a fever pitch as they were coming in and following Jesus on that triumphal entry day. And people are throwing the palm fronds down before Jesus and, and crying out, Hosanna. And, and they'd assume that Jesus is the, the new king and everything's happening. And now these hopes are dashed and the dream is over. And then Jesus asked them that question: Why are you, what are you talking about? And what's happening? And why are you so sad? And what have you been talking about? See, what we talk about reveals a lot of what's going on in here. And they were just pouring things out. When you really want to not find out where a person is at, you just stop and listen for a while at their conversation. Because as people speak, what's in their heart will come out. Uh, Jesus told us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if faith is in the heart, faith will be in the mouth. If hope is in the heart, hope will be in the mouth. If love is in the heart, love will be in the mouth. If hatred is in the heart, hatred will be in the mouth. If cynicism is in the heart, cynicism will be in the mouth. And and you can listen to what's happening in a person at this moment. Let them talk. He lets them talk. and, And long enough, and eventually something surfaces. The heart will discover itself and will reveal those things. And they answer Jesus. And here is what they answer him in verse 18. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Aren't thou only a stranger? A little bit cynical in their approach here. Aren't thou only a stranger and that's not known? Seriously, you haven't followed the Facebook post? What's been happening in your life here? You haven't followed this, the things which come to pass in these days? Are you the only bloke around here that doesn't know? Uh, Why? You just popped into town, came in the last cloud. What happened to you? where, Where are you from? Hello? Duh. What's happening around Oh, this is what's happened. What do you mean? What are we talking about? See, th- even the, the tone, the, the, the sarcastic way in which they're putting this across, I can it's sort of like hurting people hurt people and lash back out as they were doing. And their words maybe come across at cutting. They, they thought they knew. Haven't you known? Don't you know? You, you don't know what's happening because we definitely know. And little they realise, they think they're bringing God up to date with what was happening. <laughs> and God's going to turn around and say, I need to bring you up to date. And we do the same. We, we think we've got this figured out and this is what's taking place. And lo and behold, we have to be brought up to speed. And there is a mind shift and a heart shift that's about to take place. And Jesus continues patiently and innocently "Ask them, I love his question. I love Jesus' question. He says, what things? Like sneaky Jesus. What things? Tell me, what what, what things? Fill me in. Enlighten me. And you kind of watch Jesus just humouring them almost. and, And they start talking to Jesus about Jesus. That's a bit weird in itself. And here they are and they go back and they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, tell me about him. I'd like to know what you think about this person now. Speak, and I want you to notice what happens. Their conversation turns to past things. Jesus of Nazareth, which was, past tense, a mighty prophet, a prophet, which literally was mighty indeed, which was mighty indeed, and word, before God and all the people, everyone saw what took place, and how the chief priests, the religious crowd, and then the politicians and our rulers, uh, it just they just condemned him to death. And I want to tell you what's happened. They've crucified him. And to them, the cross was a big negative. Everything was finished. And, and the saddest death in any one of our lives is the death of hope. See, when you lose hope, you lose faith. Because faith is the substance of things... Hoped for. And then we get to the core of the problem. Here, here is the core of the problem in verse 21. And it goes on and says, But we, we trusted. But we trusted that it had been He which should have. He should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things. We trusted. That's the problem. We had it figured out. We, we thought. We expected. We understood. We hoped. And here comes disappointment. He did not do what I thought he would do or should do. Shouldn't God do this? How many of you have ever been confronted with that question, if, if there is a God, why does he allow these bad things to happen? We've all had that question. If there is a God, shouldn't he have stopped that event happening? And we all have those things thrown at us by people who have had a jaded experience or a a painful moment or a a confusing time and and it's lashed out. But We trust it. Seriously, how many people used to be sitting here in Good Shepherd that could say, we trust it? Didn't come through for us, we're gone. Uh, we, we, and you think about it, in your Christian life how many people you've you've sat next to and rubbed shoulders with, who literally have now said could say back to you, well, we tried it, it worked for us. After all, Pastor, I went to went to church two weeks in a row, didn't figure, didn't sort of, even got a bit of counselling, still didn't help my marriage. And see, we trust, we think, and and, and sadness will even get you to abort early. Here's what I think is unusual. Look at their, what they said by themselves. And beside all this, today is the third day. Today's the third day. So you couldn't even wait till the end of the third day? You took off from Jerusalem. Surely you knew and you threw that out there because you had heard this thought that he would rise on the third day. After three days, he would rise. Couldn't you at least stick around a Monday? You just you took off. Couldn't you just wait and just see? But see, what happens is. The, the, the problem gets so caught and we're stuck around these situations and and if they would have stuck around Jerusalem, they would have got more information, would have got some more reports. But they go off half-baked, half-information, disappointed, thinking that their view has, has, has gone and then they move into what we would call a struggle. And, and this is where faith begins to struggle. And faith goes through this. What do you do when God doesn't do what you thought he should do. What do you do when he doesn't deliver like you thought he should? And the, the real truth is, we, we're actually disappointed with God. We may not verbalize that, but we're disappointed with God. That God didn't do what I really think God should have done. And by the way, it's embarrassing at times when you make statements of what God should do, maybe to a loved one or a relative or a friend, and that doesn't happen. And maybe you've made that statement in faith and then people end up throwing it back in your face and then you end up throwing the towel in. Uh, I remember a, a lady who who come to know Christ in our church a few years back there and, and her unsaved spouse, a very, uh, very influential man in our town, uh, mocked her faith, uh, this, this newfound faith that she had in God and, and she would witness to him and, and, and tell him what God can do and she would expound these things to him. And then a little bit of struggle started to happen in her faith. And he would laugh at her and tell her, this is just another one of your fads that you're going through. And he would mock her. And then he would tell her, they're going to let you down at that church, just like all churches do. They're gonna, someone's going to disappoint you. And, I, and then all of a sudden, there was a clash with the person at our church. It had a coincidence. To which she got hurt. Told you. Told you that would happen. That's what those church people like. And she's ended up quitting on, on the things of God and has gone away disappointed because we trusted. When that happens, that's the struggle of faith. That, that's where it comes in. Anytime you hear people acting like that or talking like that, you know faith is struggling. Because faith is, is always uh, learning. Faith, faith is developing, and my, my suggestion and my exhortation is don't quit the class. Stick in the class. Uh, resit the exam if necessary. Go, go through that again, because in, in the struggle of faith, what happens? All things start to come out of the heart. Everything starts to move, out and, and trouble shows us what's there, and, and none of us know what's inside of us until we're under pressure. Uh, none of us know that. We don't know who you are until you're backed into the corner and, and conflicting testimonies can come out of the same mouth. It happened in Job's life, where in one moment he's saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, uh, blessed be his name, to where later on he's saying, God, our God cursed the day that I was born. Out of the same mouth can come bitter and sweet. It shouldn't. But the confliction comes out. We come back to the text in verse 22, And they continue on and they say, Yea, certain women also of our company made us astonished. They made us astonished. Which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels. Yes, sure thing. Sure thing. And said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre. We didn't see it. We We didn't see it. Found it even, uh, and found it even as so uh, the women had said, but pff, we didn't see him. He wasn't there. What they told us, we, we, we didn't get. And see, they're living physical. Everything was Physical. What was sight from there? And these two men on the road to Emmaus had done something in their own life and they had, they had erected around their own life this, this wall of hopelessness. They're trapped in their misery. I had trusted. I had hoped. We don't expect it now. We once did. We had it uh, with this thing called hope but now it's gone and, and this is where we are and sometimes hope just goes. And at that moment, something or someone has come between you and God. And hope has been pushed away, and it's always sad to see defeated disciples. It's always sad to talk to defeated disciples who, who would... They're the used-to-be's. They're the used-to-be's. They used to be the teachers in the Sunday school. They used to be the singers. They, they used to be the leaders. They used to be the helpers. They, they used to be the givers. They were the, the model, model followers of Jesus and when things were going right, but then something... Something happened, and when hope dies in someone, it's a terrible, terrible thing. When when God doesn't do what you hoped he would, and the pain is greater, why didn't you save this life? Why didn't you save this marriage? And they go on, but I want you to notice something. Whilst all this conversation was happening, and really it was a monologue, as they were continuing to pour out their heart to Jesus, he just listened, and he was there. He was the silent saviour. He didn't interject. He didn't say anything. He let them continue to talk. And I want to say to us tonight that just because Jesus doesn't answer doesn't mean he's not there. He was there in their midst, hearing every word that was spoken. There's not a prayer that we ever utter that God ever forgets. I forget what I prayed last week sometimes. Uh, Jesus and God, they never forget anything. They listen, they tune in, and then we come to a massive moment of surprise. In this text, Jesus then spins around and now begins to speak to them. And he says in verse 25, it's a little bit of an insult in some way, he turns around and he said unto them, oh fools. Now That would have took them a step back. Oh fools. Now they don't even know who this bloke is. He's just been walking along, hey, listen, we let you tag along, what are you talking to us like this for? Oh fools, and I want you to notice what it is, slow of heart, slow of heart to believe. There's a faith issue here. Slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? And I love how Jesus does this, and by the way, that's what God does to us at times, He he will sometimes confront us, whether it be through a sermon, whether it be through a a, a lyric in a song, whether it sometimes be through somebody's word to us, uh, and and it confronts us, it rebukes us, it it speaks sharply to us, and right there it's a question of, can I take it? Or am I going to, in my pride, in my pain, walk out and say, how dare they? Or do I hold on to it? And he goes right to the heart of the matter and said, the problem is you. And deals right with this. And, and thankfully these two men or two people had enough within them to stick it out. And they kept walking as he started to talk. And started to listen from there. And then he starts to unfold some things. And beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Imagine that sermon. I mean, here is Jesus just unfolding, peeling back the pages, shedding light upon the types and shadows and and all the pictures and the prophecies from from Moses through to Malachi. And it unveils all this to them. And every time he did this, their faith was getting stronger. See, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. and, And something was happening within them. That's why it's great to be in church. That's why it's great to be in our Bibles. That's why it's great to be reading Christian literature, hearing things that are going to continue to build and build and get stronger and stronger and stronger. And then all of a sudden, here is Jesus, who snuck up on them before, now gets to this moment where he play acts with them. And, and here is what the Bible says he does. And they drew nigh unto the village. Whether they went, it's a couple of hours they've been travelling And he made as though he would have gone on further. It's almost like Jesus is acting and faking it. And they're walking to where they're going and Jesus keeps walking like, well, see you later. (laughs) I'm going to keep walking on. And he's like waiting for them to say something to him. Have what I said to you had much of an impact that whereby you say, we want more of this? Has the word impacted you to that moment and here he is, and, and he's wondering, how far are you going to go before you break down and call me back? How many steps are you going to let me take before you cry out to me? Faith gets desperate. It's growing, and it cries out like these men, and they constrained him. I don't know what they did by constraining him, whether they grabbed him by the, by the arm or around the shoulder or with just verbally, and they said, abide with us. Abide with us. We need you. There's something about you that you know. Your words did something. And they're still trying to process this. And they said, look, it's getting dark. It's toward evening. The day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. God, I need you. Don't don't leave me. Abide with us. Jesus, I don't understand everything, but there's... I, I can't live without you. Jesus once challenged his disciples in a very troubling moment in their life, will ye also go away? And Peter said, where can we go? Uh, I'll just put my doubts in my backpack and keep walking with you. That's what I'm going to do. But we have to take that initiative. We have to take the initiative. He's drawn nigh to us, we must draw nigh to him. And we must say, God, I'm going to take this and I'll take that initiative. I, I need God to help me through this. And then he began to do with them what the Israelites knew was a very intimate time and they broke bread together. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and he blessed it and he prayed and he broke, And he gave to them. And I sort of wonder as the two are sitting at the table that he would pick up that bread, he would take that bread, he would bless that Very similar to what has happened in every other thing that God does. This is the formula he does with all of us. He takes us, he blesses us, he breaks us, and he gives us. And by the way, there's not one stage that you're not in his hands. Every one of those stages, you're still in his hands. But here is what he does. takes it, blesses it, breaks it, and then he gives it. And now they see something in his hands that they had not seen as he walked by the way. Something happens as he hands them that and they reveal this. And Jesus in that moment, the Bible says something took place and their eyes were open, and now they knew him. This is where he wanted to get them to. Faith has graduated to the next, next level. And just ah, vanished out of their sight. Now that you know me, bread's still at the table, juice is in the cup, crumbs are on the floor, chair is still warm, but the master is gone. You have enough now to make it on your own. You, you, You walked with me when you saw me. Now you need to walk with me because you know me. You knew me, and they said one to another, "Did not our heart? Didn't something? Was something happen in you? Yeah, did something happen to you? Yes, our heart was was burning within us while he talked with us. By the way, and while he, while he opened us to us the scriptures, why, why was their heart burning? Was the bread bread, the dip too spicy? No, it wasn't. What was happening, the word of God was like that fire that Jeremiah speaks about that was in his heart and and he'd vanished out of their sight, but he hadn't vanished out of their heart. Oh yes, the messenger had gone, but the message still retained. And he said, now you have seen me and now I want you to walk with me and go from here. And, and, And here is the message for the night. And they rose up. They, were, they rose up the same hour and then they returned to Jerusalem. They were walking away from the place of faith. They were walking away from everything and given up. And now their encounter with Jesus and their understanding of this and hope reigniting within them, they said, well, you know what? It's, it's always too soon to quit. Let's spin back around. And they go back and they meet the people there and found the 11 and saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon And they told of what things were done in the way and how he was known, known of them in the breaking of bread. And what did the word of God do to them? It caused them to rise up and say, you know what? I'm moving away from those doubts. I'm moving away from those fears. I'm moving away from that shame. I'm getting up from that guilt and I'm turning around and I'm coming back to where the action is. I'm come back Cleo. That's who I am. I'm moving back to where God wants things to take place. And he gets back up and they returned back to where Jesus wanted them to be to await for the power of God to descend upon them. How many times have people just walked away and missed the power of God? So thankful that they didn't turn away at the sharp rebuke. So thankful they continue to walk in their struggle and walk in their sadness as Jesus was silent and then they saw him and they knew him. In the road of life, it'll take you somewhere sometimes other than you had hoped to go. And your hopes may have said, oh, I wanted to travel this road and it's different. But I want to tell you, Jesus can turn things around. He's done it for millions throughout history. He's done it for these two. And if you allow it, he puts you back on the road again. And Jesus can take what seemed like to be the most dead and hopeless situation and turn it into something afresh. And he said, don't be slow of heart to believe. Learn to be quick. Of heart to believe. Don't, don't take time, just be quick to respond in faith. And I love how Jesus was just willing to chase someone down, going down the wrong road. Aren't you glad He chased you down at some point in time when you were heading down the wrong road? It just took off down there, and it makes you rethink the kind of people that, that God often pursues. That, that He hasn't forgotten you in your doubts, in your discouragement, in your disappointment. And he's waiting for you to sometimes spill your guts to him so he can correct your thoughts and correct your heart and say, your heart, your slow of heart, be quick of heart to believe. Be quick of heart to believe that Jesus would leave Jerusalem, head to this little small place called Emmaus that we cannot even locate with certainty, chases down insignificant people, To an insignificant place. And maybe Jesus has chased you down to this little place on the planet Earth. And said, I haven't forgot about you. Let's bow our heads for prayer, Pastor. I'll hand back to you from there.